and then we, so, anyhow, so see if you can help me here, all right? So howdy! Howdy! All right, do you mind if I sing your song? Is that all right? I'm hungry for you. 
So even if we could rid ourselves of chasing after, and I think it's possible with the Lord that we could rid ourselves of chasing after things that will make us die. From now on, since the fall of man, which we'll talk about, since the fall, I'm experiencing the world around me in a body that has fallen. Imagine there was a time when no one got sick, none of that stuff happened, but from now on, how we participate, how we experience, how we have chem chemical, all the stuff that happens, it's through fallen senses, through fallen eyes, through fallen noses, fallen touches. The way we interpret people is, is very rarely right. And so, and someday we're going to be given a new body. In a new place where not only will we experience that, if you could experience that which is perfect right now, your, your experience would still be imperfect because of the fallen body that you're in. Does that make sense? So to my flesh and to my bones, you gave an eternal soul that can't find rest till it's found its home. In a bite before you throw So anxiously I wait For my resurrection day When my body will be remade And by your blood can be displayed And I will walk on perfect streets And I will walk with perfect feet Every hunger will be pure Do that. 
and, and it's, it's, it's a wisdom to him because he knows what questions to ask. So often, I mean, so many people that are asking the wrong questions. They, they think, well, what key do you sing in to make the Holy Spirit come down? And you're like, it's called the key of honest. And they're like, what is that? Right? And you just promise yourself that you'll never sing a lie. And somehow Nate knows how to pull that out. Now, Jonathan is my brother-in-law. Jonathan Bryce was here uh, a couple years ago for Salt. And then uh, uh, Jonathan's cool because my, my wife is an identical twin. And her identical twin is Jonathan Bryce's wife. And, and it was pretty cool because I fell in love with my wife in Durango, Colorado. She was there from California on a, on a year from exchange, and I saw this girl with this cute potty lips, and it just drove me crazy, right? And what drove me crazy more than the fact that she had potty lips and was gorgeous, was she didn't seem to care if the guys, like, like she just seemed oblivious to their like, like, please look at me, affirm my existence, please, right? And she just didn't seem to care. And we used to do this thing where we'd go around to the various dorms and take out people's trash. And I remember one of the people go, would you take beer, beer bottles? And we said, yeah, of course. And then one of the people we invited, and, and it was this girl named Melissa, and we're a whole bunch of us after one of our ministry nights, they're at my house, like 70 people. And I'm kind of walking around to see if anybody's been being left out. And there's this girl, but everyone's being talked to, and there's some guys that are really interested in Mandy. And she just is, she's like, she's new to us. She's only been in uh, Durango for a couple weeks, and, and she just doesn't seem to care about these dudes. And then there's this girl, Melissa, and I'm like, well, I, sh I should see if a girl will come talk to her. And Mandy comes and sits down, being total outsider, and goes, okay, I'm Mandy, and she says, my name's Melissa. And she goes, how do you walk with God? And the girl just starts crying. And a couple weeks later, that night gets right with God, and a couple weeks later, her whole major's turned, everything she was living for shifted. And I watched this happen, and I was like, God, can I have one of those? And I said, I, said, I wrote in my Palm Pilot, they done all date me, I had a Palm Pilot. And I, right? And I said, I said, God, you just raised my standard. And what happened was, after a while, you kind of go, you know what, I'm just going to have to settle, you know? And girls, don't ever marry a guy who thinks he's, he's settling on you, right? Like, you want a guy who knows you're the prize. And, 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 and girls, you want a guy who's, who's devotion. He's attracted to you because you know how to minister. That's, if you got that, you got something good. So anyhow, uh, so we get married. I'll, that's another story. And uh, Jonathan is, is a little bit younger than me. And uh, he's trying to decide if he's going to settle too. And I said, listen, I want you to come meet Jenny. But you don't have to marry her. I'm not saying I just want you to see what kind of girl that you should be looking for. And that really was about the uh, extent of my intent. I just wanted him to have a standard for us. And, um, and, and he had a devotional life, but the same thing was like, if, am I gonna have to, if it's what I want, a pipe dream or no? And so then he came and he met her and he goes, well, what if I just pursue her? And I said, okay, fine. And, uh, and dude, she was a cold fish. Like, as he said, this story, she was Alcatraz. She was Alcatraz. She was not interested at all. But she was, she was working for, for what accounts to the mayor of Beaver Creek at the time. So she was, she was his personal assistant and just helped that thing run. And so we were going through Durango on the way up where I fell in love. And then we go through Vail yesterday where Jonathan fell in love. And then we go uh, exit 265 where Josh Nicholas, who you all know, we love Josh. The first time him and Abby, the love of his life, held hands. And so I love Colorado. Don't you love Colorado? So, so we got three big ideas for today, and we're just going to tackle big idea number one. 
Three big ideas for today is this, is that you've been called out of Egypt. Second idea is Egypt's going to be called out of you. That's going to be the next session. And the third one is you're going to be sent back into Egypt, which means you're going to be prepared for war. And so that's, we all right? Yeah. So I've already done a little bit of an intro with my song, and so I'm just going to carry on. The question really is, so in Genesis 1-3, God says, let there be light. So we're going to take a step way back. You're like, before we get to Egypt, way back at the beginning, God says, let there be light. So he created everything. The God, all the stuff that we experienced that the song was talking about, all of that uh, originated first in the mind of God. And we see this wild little deal. Now, science can only confirm it in a way is, is they go, well, as everything is expanding at a, at a speed. And, and the trajectory means it had to have had an origin. And so we trace everything back. There was a point when, when all that we see, all the matter was condensed into some super strong point. We don't know how. We don't know why. We can't explain it. But something released, something happened, and then matter. And the Bible sums it up quite simply when God said, let there be light. So I'm going to skip a whole bunch of talk. I would love, I would love if I had time. I would love to talk about the order of creation and how light was made and we found out that, that you know, uh, part of the electromagnetic spectrum, heat itself is a generation of light, but then there's, there's visible light, there's light uh, energy and all those things, uh, but then when you separate the light from the day, you have a certain sort of visible spectrum that comes, but I don't have time for that, so um, you can look it up later. <laughs> then Genesis 1.26, let us make man in our image. And, and this right here tells you distinctly that what you are is different from every other thing that was made out of anything. When he said, let there be light, light was in his image. God says, I am the light. The light originates from me, but the light isn't, um, it's, it's not a living thing according uh, to that. When he made man, he said, man is going to be in our image. Man, what man is, what humanity is, is going to be special. It's going to be a different sort of stuff than the rest of stuff. And those of you that are familiar with the story, he took all the nutrients of all the stuff that he had fashioned, and, and he, he put it together in a form, and then he breathed something spiritual. So remember, spirit is first, matter is second. He breathed something spiritual into it, that thing began to breathe, and that was man. And that's wild. And then he put that man in paradise. And everything was perfect, and he gave that man a woman. I love that. Uh, uh, I won't even tell you the jokes right now, because I don't have time as much, as much, as much joke as I want to tell. Are we okay? Yeah. Yeah. You'll, just, you'll just hang with me even if I don't tell a lot of jokes. All right. So, um, thank you, Jonathan. I love you. Uh, so, imagine, we can't imagine it. We all long for it deeply. We long for it so deeply, and there's, that's probably a good question is, is when you're sick, right now, for those of you feeling that scratchiness in your throat, you might not have ever felt that before, we're not for smoke in the air. And all of a sudden, now that you have it there, you go, there's something wrong, there's something not right about this. Sickness tells you a lot about what should be. And a lot of us, you don't think about certain muscles until you pull that muscle. You're not aware of these ones, and then all of a sudden that, that little tendon that you had no idea was there and never really cared about, I have ever thought, and all of a sudden you hear this pop, and you're like, what was that? And, and then you all of a sudden you realize that in sickness, what it means to be healthy, and the very fact 
that none of us are content in sickness, none of us are happy with COVID, none of us long to stay here, tells us that somehow deep inside we know that we were made for something better. And that's probably the best proof that everybody has, is, is if this is just the way it was, if we were evolving slowly better, how come, how come we're so discontent with going to, you, you see what I'm saying? There's something that we know that this isn't right. Divorce, it's the same way. Every little kid goes, Mom and Dad, please stop. How does a little kid know what a parent's relationship ought to be? But we know what it's not supposed to be. It cries out deep inside us. This should not be this way. We believe that's because you've been made in the image of God. And, and there it is. So they're, they're, they're into a spot where there's no sickness. There's no such thing as death. You know, when people get ready to die, it's awful, especially if the person doesn't know God. You see him shrivel up, and, and you see decay take its toll, and, and, and you're like, this isn't right. This, and as much as you want to say this is just the way of it all, deep down inside, you know, if you smash your thumb with a hammer, you will protect it immediately, right? You'll be like, oh, shoot, ah, don't do that again, right? And next time you swing a hammer, there's a little bit of thing, right? But if, why is there self-protection if, if we were just meant to be here temporarily? Why is there a care to keep our body healthy for long? All right. You guys get the point? No sickness, no death, no wickedness, no selfishness, no lack of provision. Imagine having everything just... The, and, and imagine this. You're exploring the garden, and right now we make decisions based on what's good and what we can afford. Right? You're like... Uh, it's going to be Whataburger again tonight, right? All right I'm going to go to the, the McDonald's value meal. But back in the garden, there's no decisions based on what you can afford. It's all based on what you're in the mood for. Like, just like, I want that. It's not about can I afford it. It's just like, sure, why not? There's like, and I'm like, look at that tree. I'm like, who knew? I wonder if that tastes good. And you, and you know it can't kill you, right? Isn't that awesome? Man. Humanity was happy, and God said it is good. He said he looked at what was happening in the garden. He goes, "This is awesome," because this is this is my idea of life. That's memoir. So here's the question: Is where do you want to live? Do you want to live according to your idea, uh, the world's idea, what everyone has brought their expectations lower to? You have a hunger for more, but you're like, it's probably not realistic. Or do you want to live what God says is His dream for your life? Does, does God's idea of paradise sound awesome to you? I don't know if it does. You're gonna have to. We're gonna, we're gonna find out, aren't we? So there you go. The only one thing remains: before Adam could be granted a gift of eternal life, he must show that he can be trusted. He's given a test of loyalty. Now. The Bible says that whoever overcomes will reign with him. He tells the disciples, I've got 12 thrones, one for each of you, to rule with me in my kingdom. I was given a kingdom, and I bestow upon you a kingdom. And then later on, he says, if we overcome, we shall reign with him. Reign over what? To reign means to make decisions. To reign means... You're looking at things and you're deciding this is a good idea, that's a bad idea. I don't know what there is, what types of decisions are to be made in heaven. 
I can only imagine, like the old songwriters. I can only imagine. Right? Most people, when you think about heaven, you're like sitting at the pool with your feet kicked up, and, and, and like magically, you know, some you know, drink appears, and you're like, this is the life, right? But I don't think that's right. I remember my friend Dryden, uh, who I love, and I hope you get to meet Dryden. Dryden's like, Eli, I don't know if I want to be in a worship service for the rest of my life. Heaven doesn't sound very fun. And I was like, because, you know, I like singing, but singing for thousands of years sounded really lame. <laughs> and I'm like, you know what, I don't blame you. And so we take a snow cave and we, we go just above Durango, up the Carpenter Basin, and, and we, we build a snow cave. And, uh, and we're, by, by the time we, we finally get everything done, it's like dark, 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 cold, cold, cold. So you can't see anything. And so then we wake up the next morning, and he comes out, and he sees the sunrise. And, and he'd, never, he, he'd never been in the snow before. Okay? And all of a sudden, he's waking up on this adventure that he could never have imagined. And, and you know, you boil the water analogy, and, and like you kind of like, everyone's sitting with their bag, and they're kind of hugging that thing while they look out. And he looks out, and he starts, he would start singing, is he starts singing, holy, like he looks at the sunrise in the mountains, and he's just like, wow, who thought of this? And then he went, ah. He goes, heaven, God leads you on these adventures. And at the culmination of it, you see another glimpse of what he's like. That out of all the, all these things we see that we experience in a new body, we have a new body. You experience it, and, and the end result is you go, holy. holy. And you see another one. You're like, I had no idea of that. So, all right. To be ready for eternity. If God is going to let you make have decision-making power in heaven, think about this. God says, I want to spend the rest of my life with you. What a trip. Here's God that existed for eternity before the making of man. And then he says, we're so full of love, we got more to share. Our, our fellowship within the Trinity is wonderful. Should we let anybody else enjoy this? Because this is great. We're like, yeah, let's make something. Not only can enjoy it with us, but that we can give them decision-making power too. Now, I, I don't mean to do a disservice to the Trinity, because, but, but there is an excitement, there is an eagerness. Let us make man in our image. But we know that if we don't teach them how to make decisions wisely, then they will ruin all that we have. And so let's make a place where they can gain wisdom. And that place is called planet Earth. You okay there? Then the Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and to keep it. And the Lord commanded man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat it you shall surely die. So God gave Adam and then Eve a test of loyalty. He, a very simple, easily understandable command. Don't touch that. This is okay. See all that? That's good. See this one tree? A lot of you have the idea that God comes up with a thousand ways for you to fail and only one way for you to succeed. But God has a thousand ways to do what's right and one way to fail. You see it? And obedience is, is saying, I'm going to stay away from the way that you say is failure and enjoy the rest. So, there's a test of loyalty. Now he's there. Now, uh, 
Bezos now, I don't use Bezos, we'll go to Warren Buffett. Warren Buffett. $40 billion. I mean, he gave away half his wealth and gave, gave, got, gained it back. So all rich people understand the principle of giving. They don't even have to love the poor. They just know if we give it to a good cause, God will give us more. Or somehow we make more. I don't even know if they, if, if they know that it's God. Right? But they give it away and they give it back. And so the more they give, the more they get. It's just a weird principle of reality. So imagine that your father is Warren Buffett. And, he give, and he's got... $40 billion, so he goes, you know what, I'm going to give you $5 billion. And he gives you, wouldn't that be nice? Right? And you're like, I love my dad, and I'm not embarrassed with the trust fund. This is awesome. Right? So $5 billion, bucks, and, and, and he just says, do what you want with it. And you're like, cool. I mean, it's so funny because you, you see people that have so much money. Is they, they get bored of finding out ways to spend it. They're like, I'll try this, and I'll try this, and I'll try this. And, Oh, okay, I'm getting bored trying to figure out how to spend this money. It's so much money. And, but let's, so no big deal. No, no reason. You just do what you want. Fine. So let's say Warren Buffett goes, hey, listen, uh, this is great, but I don't want you to invest. I don't want you to invest in casinos, right? I think casinos are a terrible way to make money. So use this money, spend it, invest it if you want. But if you want to invest it, don't invest it in the casino. And you're like, all right, fine. So, you're walking around and you're like, is there any reason to invest in a casino at this point? You got infinite opportunities and one not, so no, I don't see any reason why not. But let's say you overhear Warren Buffett talking to some of his friends at Bill Gates, and he goes, man, have you seen, have you seen my son over there? He's a billionaire too, like me. Man, he's so good. And Imagine he's bragging about you, and, and all of a sudden you realize he's not bragging about you at all. He's bragging about himself. Because you did nothing to get the money. So when he's saying, oh yeah, he's great, he's this and that, like you, it's how she, it's just, how long till you resented your father for bragging on you for what he did for you, not for what you've become? And it's the inevitable end. It just that's what's going to happen. So God says, and what about that goes, you know what? I want my. The rest of what I have, I want to be able to give it to, to my son, to you. And so, but I want to know that he's going to choose wisely. And he goes, so I'm going to let an A.G. Edwards, this oily snake, this guy, I'm going to let the salesman come in, and I'm going to let him make a case for why you should invest in casinos. And I'm going to see if my son that I gave him all the money, if he'll trust me because I'm his dad, or if he'll trust this stranger because it's a good idea. And so he does. So here comes the guy, and I know, listen, your dad, what he wants is he wants you to have more money. And so if you invest it here, I know he said it's a bad idea, but it's because it's risky. But you can double and triple the money, and then you can come back, and you can be like him. You can give him something that he's proud of. Now, might you have a reason to disobey your father? And for the first time in your life, your obedience becomes meaningful. In other words, there's no such thing as obedience you don't have options. The way for me to say it is this. I wanted to kiss a girl so bad when I was in high school, but I was stuck out in the country and my dad locked the doors at night and we had bars in the windows and the key to get out. He was so, so scared. Seriously, he was so scared we were going to end up like my mom. And that's another story. And so he, he basically was like, so we're stuck in the house. And so I ended up cutting a hole in the floor of the house and building a room under the house where I figured out how to hack computers and stuff. Um, and then I would sneak out when I'm out in the country and I can't do anything. 
So I just go outside and I'm like, ha, I'm outside. You know, like I'm just, in other words, I, I wanted to kiss a girl so bad. All the hormones were raging. And I saw this girl, she was super ugly, but I was convinced she would kiss me back. And I'm walking down the hall and I'm like, I'm going to do this. I just want to kiss someone. And, and then I did because I was a coward. Good thing I didn't, because that's also called sexual assault, right? It's a bad idea to kiss someone that doesn't want you to. My point is that I was, I was innocent, but not because I wanted to be. I was innocent because I didn't have any options. Well, I just stood on my Bible. That was, that was, that was an innocent move. Except I knew better than to put it on the ground, so therefore I fought against it for that. That was not common sense. I went against common sense. All right. I grew up on an island that had 30 miles of highway. 30 miles of highway. You're dreaming about all the freedom when you turn 16, you get your driver's license, you study, study, study. So cool, I finally get this little Chevy Sprint, three cylinder, 50 miles a gallon, back in you know the 90s. And I'm like, this is awesome. And I drive from one end of the island, and I drive to the other end of the island. I'm like, this sucks. <laughs> And I get to school in Durango, and I go, I can drive to either coast. This is crazy. So the first time I could, I drove 12 hours straight. Because I'm like, this is awesome. And this is what God has in store for you. The freedom you have right now is 30 miles worth. But if you can learn to use that freedom wisely, the freedom of heaven is unbelievably big. So you see what's at stake here? So there's something at stake is God has to figure out how to prepare you to be ready to spend the rest of your life with Him. And that's quite a commitment from a God who is happy with Himself. The Matrix had it all wrong. They're like, God, the, the computer source that is God needs your worship, needs, your, needs you to give Him power. God does not need your power. He doesn't need your praise. He doesn't need your affection. He's happy within Himself. The Trinity, it, it, all right, that's another sermon. We okay? So he has to introduce a law. Now this law is a description of reality. Now laws today, uh, I'm not actually talking about laws today. If I had time, we would. But law itself, law, the original law, flows out of the mind of God when God says this is true, this is false. So all law is, according to God, is a description of reality. He said, out of every tree you may eat, freely eat, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for the day that you eat it, you shall surely die. Now this isn't a threat. He's not saying the day you eat it, I will kill you. Now you got to look at it. He doesn't say the day you eat it, I will kick you and punish you and make you suffer extremely. The description is simply this. The day you do this, you'll be cut off from where your life comes from. Now the great example of this is Starbase or Lilies, which is back right there. Now, my wife loves strawberries with lilies. I give her a rose. She's like, that's kind of cheap. And I'm like, for real, I like roses. I don't like roses. All right, fine. I also like carnations, because she thinks those are really cheap. So I don't get carnations for Yellow roses, that's for friendship. And, you know, that's like a safe move, guys. If you want to give her flowers, but don't want to let your attentions to them, right? Then you've got to back up. You know, there's friendship. That's all I'm in. <laughs> yeah? Alright, this copy from Harbinger is really quite good. Yeah. Yeah. 
So what I found when I'm picking flowers for my wife is right there is a great example of a flower to get because you've got one of them that's blooming already and a few buds that when you cut that bottom of the stem at a 45 degree angle, some of you don't know this, so when you get flowers, cut the bottom of the stem at a little bit of angle and it'll uh, let it drink the water. It'll refresh the little things that have been rotten. This is a better explanation, but I can't remember right now. And, 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 then it'll, and what happens is the flower blooms as if it was still planted in the ground. So when the Bible says, the day you eat of it, you will surely die, it's saying the day that you, that you go against reality, you're going to start to wither. But what's confusing for us is, is when we sin, when we go against what we know is true, when we, when we push off reality, we still go through puberty. And some of you get better looking. What I found, girls, is if he's handsome at 12, don't marry him. Mary, some guy that's kind of like baby face looking and it'd be kind of ugly at like, like 16. And by the time he's 30, you'd be really, really proud. <laughs> yeah. Forward, forward thinking. If you, met, if you marry one that looks like a man at 18, he'll look like a fat man at 30. You know? So just, just you got to think about how flowers bloom and stuff. And my guys, guys, very similar. It's very, very similar. Uh, but, but, uh, we won't go into that. <laughs> we all understand gravity, you know. All right. <laughs> Someone say amen. Yeah, you know, you know, you laugh because it's true. Right. Right. So the fact that the flower blooms after it's been cut doesn't mean the reality that's been cut isn't true. The fact that the plant blooms after it's been separated from its life-giving source, the fact that beauty still follows the act of separation does not mean that the act of separation doesn't have final consequences. And that's what's confusing about this life, is when people go against reality they can actually get more beautiful shortly thereafter. And think that God's words aren't true. But it is inevitable that if you go against reality, you will be cut off from where life comes from. You won't pass the test of loyalty. You'll become very unwise. It was an awful but absolute necessity if a moral being might ever do something so sin as to break this protecting law. It was simply... And finally, cut him off from interfering with anyone else's happiness. In other words, what Adam and Eve did is they said, me first, regardless of what God says is the way to happiness, I'm going to live for this moment without thinking about eternity. And when you do that, what follows it is pretty awful. There's two deaths. There's a physical death that we all have because of um, what started in the garden. And then there's a spiritual death that happens when we choose to go against what we know God has spoken to us about where life comes from. After Adam and Eve said me first, all the power struggles and battles that we see on planet Earth began to develop. In the garden, in paradise, doing what God said, it was wonderful, it was happy, 
Everything was golden. But once they said, me first, we're going to ignore what God says. Once they did that, it began to uh, deteriorate. Genetically, we begin to fall apart. Mentally, we tend towards insanity. Physically, we suffer sickness, emotionally, we become subject to heartbreak. We become heartbreakers. We lose our temper. The simple me first that a child has when they're arguing over things, when undisciplined and, and, and not checked and not have reality, said, no, it's, if, you, if you choose me first, you're going to hurt someone. Don't do that. You, you, can't, you can't push them. Like when you're a little kid, you can push them and, and they fall and they get hurt like a little bit. When you're a man and you say me first, you fall, it's called, and you push them, it can quickly turn into this thing called murder, which is what we see in Genesis where Cain says, no, me first, out of envy, and kills his brother. Lamech, those of you that have known, begins to govern by threat, and we begin to see the stockpiling of weapons and the beginning of war when people say, me first, my own first, at all costs. True law is a description of reality. Here's a little picture of a, of a fire. These are three necessary elements of a fire. Oxygen, heat, and then fuel. So fire is the result of applying enough heat to a fuel source, when you can hold, pull out of oxygen around that fuel source, as the atoms and the fuel heat up, they begin to vibrate and break feet until, I'm reading this, the bonds holding them together are released as volatile gases. These gases react with oxygen in the surrounding atmosphere. This chemical reaction causes a lot of heat, so much heat in fact, that it can keep driving the reaction as long as there's enough fuel and oxygen still present, the reaction will become self-sustaining. The actual flames of the fire are the release of some of the heat energy as light. That's just a description of reality. Those are three things you have to have to have fire. When God says, the day you can eat all this, don't eat that, it's just simple Him saying, this is the way it is. Not, I want to control you, not, I want to ruin your life. It's saying, I want to protect you so that you can live forever. Everyone understand that? And fire may be good. Food today, prepared to a certain temperature, will protect you from all the bacteria that can grow in pork. So if you heat it up over fire, then it actually is really, really good for you. But then if you don't have enough moisture and you have uncontrolled fire, you have what you have right now, which is the largest uh, forest fire, wildfire of Colorado history. Is that correct? Yes. What starts inside you as a me first inevitably makes its way outside of you. To do what I'm doing now, to, to pioneer Kayaka a and I had to take a psych evaluation. There's one or two thousand questions, and, and it ends up that I'm, I don't know how not crazy I am, but I'm here, so <laughs> take that for what it's worth. <laughs> now, the questions that lead you down are called forced-hand decisions. One of the question types would be like this. If you're, if you're really angry, would you prefer to hit someone or to yell at them? And you're like, well, I don't know that I would do either. But if I had to pick, <laughs> for this guy, it's called a forced hand decision. And what they do is they say, we're not saying that this is what you would do, but if these were the only two options, you're gonna follow which hand would you follow? And what happens is, right now in life, you're in situations where, you don't have to fully pick them first or me first. You get to pick like, it's not, it's kind of obscure. But when push came to shove, if you were to say, whose happiness is more important, mine or theirs? If push came to shove, if you only had two options, 
You, this girl is there, guys, she's going to marry you or this other guy is smaller. Bro, listen. All's fair in love and war. That choice. If there's any situation where you would say, me and my happiness over their happiness, and what that means is it's possible that in heaven you would turn it into hell if it meant you could get what you wanted, even if it cost someone else a lot. You see that? So what we see is that when people start to put, pick me first, when push comes to shove, and forth between you and your future grandchildren's happiness, uh, or them and their grandchildren's happiness, most of you would say, man, I gotta take care of my family. Yeah. Agreements are made, people band together, societies are formed, the weaker are made subservient, and now slavery is normalized. In other words, slavery is an inevitable end. If you're going to say, my happiness is more important, but I can't do the work, but I can make you do the work for me. And now we see why all these atrocities happen. It's the same simple thing that you and I have all grappled with. Whose happiness is the most important in mine? Everyone, you see this? So compromise is a way to enslavement. As we look at history, we see empire give way to empire, give way to empire. The slaves revolt, they become the ruler, and instead of setting their slaves free, they enslave the others. And so suffering goes on, and so we see the world that we're facing right now. I've got a slide up here of some idols, and uh, only you see this. So Abraham in the Bible was, uh, his dad was, Jewish history says Abraham's dad, before he became Abraham, his name was Abraham. His dad was an idol maker. And so, the way idols work is you have various sizes of idols, and certain in certain idols, if you need rain to come for your crops, and you give you give something to this idol, and then if that god or the demon spirit that's behind that idol is pleased with your sacrifice, then they would give rain. And and, and this one might say you need your cows to to be fruitful, and, and so you would give a sacrifice there, and then obviously you have calves. And if, if they were pleased with your sacrifice, and, and if they weren't, then you would give more. And you would just, you would keep giving more and more and more until you finally got what you want. And so you see that idolatry is an exchange where you give something to get something, but there's no relationship required. It's just, I'm going to do this to you so that I can get what I want. And so Abram grew up and his dad made idols and sold it to, to various people. And he's looking, he's, Jewish history says he's looking at the idols in Babylon. He grew up in Babylon. And he's looking at him, and he goes, if there's different sized idols, like that one and that one, why would the big one let the little one take stuff that he can have? And Abram's pretty brilliant. He goes, if this one is bigger and is stronger, why would he let that little weaker one have anything? And so he puts together that the way people are and the way that the, the, these idols and spirits are is that the stronger ones always take advantage of the smaller ones. And so eventually, there could only be one. If there's a strong God, then there wouldn't be any other God eventually. Right? And so what he does is he, he has the one big idol in the club. All the rest, he breaks all the rest and his dad comes back. And his dad goes, Abram, what'd you do to the family business? What'd you do? Abram goes, I didn't do anything. 
Smart kid. This idol got tired of these idols taking his stuff, and so he killed them all. And Abram's dad goes, Abram, these are just wood and stone. And Abram goes, I know. And he put it together that all of this was a sham. Is that it was all just people using and abusing, exploiting each other for themselves. The inevitable end of saying me first is not only will you become a slave, but of giving the opportunity you make other people slaves to you. We see this all the time in relationships. Guy finally gets a girl so stoked. All his happiness is wrapped up in seeing her smile and feeling her kisses and feeling her body and it's just like, ooh, and, and, and all of a sudden at some point the girl's really flattered. She's like, I can make this man happy. What a, what a wonder. Wow. Who, who must I be? That he puts, that he, and, and, and at some point, girls, you begin to be disgusted by the weight that you go, why grow up? Isn't like, why, why are you putting all the weight of your happiness on me? Be a man. Yeah. And at some point, you begin to resent him. The thing that used to flatter you, you begin to resent him for. And vice versa, girls to guys, same, same deal. Jesus simply says, no one can serve two masters. For you either hate the one and love the other, or else you will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and man. If I had time, which I'm running out, I would talk about um, government, but we'll skip it to this. Is whatever you give yourself to, whether it's career, let's say it's happiness. Let's just call it happiness. Whatever you give yourself to will become your master. Jesus is right when he says, you're going to be a slave. You're either going to serve yourself, which is going to make you a slave, or you can serve me, which is going to show you how to live wisely and be free. People qualify for freedom in direct proportion to your internal wisdom and goodness. Your ability to say no to your appetites is what qualifies you for freedom. If you can't say no to an appetite, that means you will quickly rob someone else of happiness, at, even if it's wrong. So you qualify for freedom in direct proportion to your internal wisdom and goodness. The less wisdom there is inside of you, the more government you need outside of you. But what's wild is the New Testament's favorite term for a Christian isn't Christian. The word Christian only shows up three times in the New Testament. Did you know that? The, the New Testament's favorite term for a Christian is a love slave. It's someone that could have been set free to go live how they wanted. They say, God, I don't want to be in charge of managing my own happiness. Every time I try to manage my own happiness, I end up shackled and chained. But when I serve you and just make you happy, the world is open. We say this thing, aim at heaven and get earth thrown in for free. Aim at earth and you miss them both. You get neither. That's right. Aim at heaven and get earth thrown in for free. No. Aim at earth. Uh, aim at earth and get neither. Did I say that right that time? Yeah. I'll say it again just because it didn't. Aim at heaven. Live for God's happiness, and, and he says that my right hand are pleasures forevermore. But live for your own happiness with your limited knowledge, and you'll become a slave and slave the world around you. So, Abram's descendants 
become slaves in Egypt, where they worship animals and various things. They elevate everyone's value except for the things that God values. And the cry goes out to God. And it says this in um, Exodus. Uh, go forward a little bit. Uh, it happened in the process of time that the king of Egypt died. And the children of Israel groaned because of the bondage. They had liked the bondage for a while because it was a simple exchange. They had to do a little bit of work, but then they got a little bit of happiness. But at some point, the inevitable point, it's always, it's always coming. At some point, you're going to realize that you're stuck and you can't just do what you want. And they groan and they cry out to God. And their cry came up to God because of the bondage. So God heard the groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, with Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel, and God acknowledged them. And his answer for them was to get them out of Egypt. When God starts moving in your heart, and you realize the chains that you brought for yourself, what you're hoping is God... Can't I just keep hanging out with these friends? And then you speak to me? God says, no. That's step three. I'll be sending you back at some point if you trust me. But first, you've got to make a break. You go in and you're drinking. And like, I'm just going to have one. You know, because I want to be their friend still. And, and all of a sudden, you realize that it's so hard to pull people up that don't want to be pulled up. And you keep getting pulled down whenever you try to be there. And God says, he could, no, he says, you're not going to walk with me while you're in Egypt unless you're willing to follow me now. And that's it. The next session we'll talk about what it takes to get, when he calls the Egypt had to use the wisdom for step three so that he can send you back in. But if you keep holding on to life in Egypt, you'll never have life abundantly. Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And when he looked at his disciples, he said, follow me. And they go, Lord, first, he goes, let the dead bury the dead. You come with me. And so that's the question that we're in this first session with. Are you going to stay in Egypt? Are you going to keep trying to have both? Are you going to keep trying to have this ugly art piece that's full of all this stuff that you know breaks God's heart and just hoping that putting a cross in the picture will make it right? Or will you throw away the picture and follow God and let Him give you new friends? Let Him bring you to new places. Let, let him show you new ways of having fun that you never thought were possible. Let him lead you to places where you don't know where you're going. It's hard. And all the people that you left are having a good old time now. They're just like, you know, wow. But you're not. God's calling you out of Egypt. And you can't do an altar call because of COVID and things. But uh, just simply say this. If you're willing, not willing, if you will, 
cut off the ties of compromise. Cut off the friendships. Cut off the actions. Cut off the relationships. Quit going to the places that tempt you. And make a break and say, God, I'm not going back to Egypt. If that's you, then stand up. In the morning when I rise, in the morning when I rise, in the morning when I rise, give me Jesus, give me Jesus, give me Jesus. Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. For those of you that stood, thank you. Thank you, Lord, that you are standing. Thank you, God, for moving in this place. Let me just pray over us really quick before I give the announcements. Father, thank you so much for that word. Thank you, Lord, for calling us out of Egypt. Father, I ask that that would become very real to us. This would be, for those that stood just now, that it would, be, it would turn into a conviction, into into obedience, that they would truly obey you as they walk out of Egypt. They would leave those things behind. 
They would cut off those ties. Father, I ask in your name that your power would go before them as you went before the Israelites, leading them out of Egypt. Lord, I ask that they would be delivered. And for the rest uh, of us here this morning, Father, as we're contemplating those words, I pray that you continue to minister and to speak to us and prepare our hearts for the words to come throughout the rest of the day. Thank you, Father. Thank you for your goodness. We love you. Amen.